Welcome to this week's episode of Uncovered for Pole Dancers, a podcast created by pole dancers for pole dancers. I'm your host, Stephanie Quinn. Before we dive into this week's episode, I would love to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor, Pole Fitness Studios Instructor Certification Program, designed by the world's first ever pole dancing instructor, Bornia. You can find out more information about their instructor certification programs in the link in the show notes. Welcome to Uncovered. Today, I am joined by Rosa Diva to talk about all things dangerous curves. Welcome to the podcast, Roz. Thank you so much for having me today. Like I said um, before we jumped on, I've had so many requests to have you on the podcast. So I just know the listeners are going to be really, really excited to hear this episode. So I can't wait to share it with them. But I just want to start with, tell us, like, how did you become, I'm going to label it, how did you become a diva? That is such a great question. So I've been pole dancing since uh, October of 2007. So wow. we're at 15 and a half years right now. So that's that's a whole lot of pole. That's a whole lot of pole. Yeah, you're like an OG, like yeah, very I early think, days. I think when, once you hit like at least 10 years, then you qualify for OG status. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been pulling for a long time now. Um, I have loved it so much. You know, I hope if you're in, if you've been doing this long enough, that you would also love it as much as I do, or at least not be sick of it. So, um, <laughs> or you do get sick of it sometimes, but uh, anyways. through so your faces. Yeah, right? So been pulling for a long time. Um, I've been teaching for about 12 years now. Okay. And teaching is my favorite part of pole dancing. And I currently am, I don't have any classes of my own, but I am uh, traveling and doing workshops and uh, I love it. And I've been doing, I've been doing those workshops now for about 10 years or so. So we, welcome to recording things at home. (laughs) I have no idea who's at my door. I don't know. (laughs) Do you need to go get the door? No, maybe it's Felix Kane. It's probably somebody who just needs to be let into the building uh, in my apartment. So we'll we'll pretend that didn't happen. But <laughs> that's all. Yeah, well, I know you've done workshops at our studio in Brisbane oh, years ago. I don't know yeah. when you were in Australia. I was in Brisbane. I was in Australia 2018, I think. So okay. about five years ago. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I think it was it was it was about five years ago. I did almost like a world tour. I was in New Zealand and and Australia, so I had a wonderful time. Did you I, ever think you would be traveling the world teaching pole? Oh my gosh, never, never. I if you asked me when I was even in my early twenties, what would I be doing? I thought I was going to be wearing. I was going to be on in corporate America wearing a suit to work every day. Um, I thought I was actually going to do some diversity and inclusion work in corporate America and do some internship work. And that's the path that I was heading down. And that is until I found pole and I started pole dancing and it just, it's, I started doing it because it was a class that was on my gym schedule. Okay. And I was like, Oh, that sounds like fun. Let me try it. 
and holy schmanoli Batman. Uh, <laughs> that was, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done with my body, but it was also the best thing I'd ever done with my body. So I was love at first sight. Yeah. And what started out as just like a class at the gym turned into a hobby. Then it was a serious hobby. And then it was a side hustle. And now it's main hustle. Mm, and- because you now have, um, obviously you have online classes. You have people who can come do Zoom sessions with you mm-hmm. as well. Um, and yeah, obviously doing workshops and everything. That's, that's an amazing transition. And you don't just... Do you do also other um, PT and coaching, not just pole? Do you do yeah. other forms of PT? I can't word. It's early in Australia. I can't word this morning. <laughs> yes, I do. So I do. Pole dancing is my favorite sport, but I also coach people in conditioning. I do a little flexibility. Um, I've worked with TRX. I've worked, I do a lot of weightlifting I'm obsessed with weightlifting right now. That's my thing that I love to do. So basically, if there's any way that people want to move, then I help them move. And if there's some way that they want to have a good relationship with the gym, then they come to me. And so I work with people. I've worked with people in classes and also in a one-on-one um one-on-one situations. And I mostly do private one-on-one lessons right now, um, but I do do some classes as well. Yeah, I love it. And I um, was doing my research this morning and reading about you, and there was an article that I seen where you said that you had noticed that the clothes that you were wearing, you're talking a lot about your confidence in pole, and the clothes that you were wearing you needed to have less because of the physics and the gripping to the pole. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, and then I took my clothes off and now I walk into a gym or whatever I need to do something. It's like, can I not just like take all these things off? How did you find that journey to like your body confidence in that process? Sure. So even now I would say that it's not that I developed all this confidence in my body and that's why I'm able to kind of run around these streets naked <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> I would actually say it's more of being insecure is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting in every way, shape and form because you're constantly having to be on guard, ready to fight ready to do something because that's just that's what anxiety kind of is uh that's at least part of what anxiety is it's this constant state of being on guard and ready to fight some demons and after a while being ready to fight all the time and being in fighting shape is just i was just tired and so one day i i took my shirt off and i have not put it back on (laughs) And even now, um, you know, I've gained a lot of weight over the last couple of years. Um, I still don't have, I still mostly don't have my shirt on at the gym. So I'm just in like a sports bra on like leggings. And I do that because I want to make sure I don't get tempted to hide myself again. And I want to make sure that I don't want to let my insecurities about my body take over and make the decisions. So I try to stay in control and make those decisions. 
I love that so much. And I think I love how you talk about the insecurities and how fighting you have to, and you do, you, you are fighting and you put these masks up because you don't feel comfortable. And you're like, how does the outside world expect me to look right now? And what is it that I have to portray? Um, But who is it that I really am? And I'm, it's almost like suppressing that person. And I just know, like, I just wrote down that little, like, time because I think that's a great little time grab for people who are feeling like that because we've seen it in Pulse Studios. People walk in and they walk in in their their tights and their baggy T-shirts and they're like, oh, do you have any shorts? Oh, no, no, like, I don't I don't want to show my legs. So, cool, like, there's some stuff we can show you and we can definitely do stuff on the pole. However, if you really want a pole, we're going to need you to think about wearing some shorts, but at your own time, whenever you're ready. But every, it's so everybody you see comes in the studio generally have something that they're trying to mask. Yes, they definitely do. And I would say, you know, to those people, it took me four and a half years um, before, from the time when I started pole until I was comfortable enough to take off my shirt. Yeah. So this is not something that needs to be rushed. You can take your time and do it. You can still be, I know pole dancers who are fully clothed and there's, they are no less of an athlete than anybody else who's running around naked. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I think people can, they can make pole and make their outfits what they want them to be. 100%. And we have sticky leggings now and sticky sticky bodysuits. So yeah. you it the world, the pole world has definitely progressed. Um oh my gosh, and so much. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine in comparison to 2007. I started in 2012 and it's changed so much in that 10 years, let alone 2007 and having yeah. those five years earlier when it was still very new and very and very underground. Um, and I love how you were talking before about you were thinking you were going to go down a track of diversity and inclusion in corporate America. And I feel like you've landed there, just not in corporate America. Yes. Um, as I was saying that just now, I was like, well, Raj, you kind of did get there. Um, because my, my whole career at the gym is dedicated to diverse athletes. So we're thinking, I like to focus on people who have traditionally been ignored in the fitness industry. So we're talking people who are plus size, people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQ fam, um, people working through fitness related trauma and anxieties and different and basically anybody else who feels like they're a misfit. Um, we're team, team diva is full of misfits. It's what we do. So get your ass over here. You yes. are absolutely welcome. Just the way, however you are, you are welcome. So and, that makes me curious to know, um, how many people do you have reach out to you who have not had, I guess, positive experiences in a, and I'm just going to use the, the label, uh, the word here of like a traditional pole studio. Do you get a lot of people reach out to you about those experiences? Not as much anymore, okay. but I absolutely do get every couple of weeks. I'll get a message from someone saying, you know, I wanted to try a pole, but my studio either told me I was too big or what it's, it's less about that blatant, sizeism 
-hmm. And it's less about like someone telling them to your face, you suck and you can't do this. It's more um, that they feel left out because it's implied that their mm. bodies aren't the best bodies to be pole dancing and that their instructors, people's instructors, they mean well, but they just don't know how to work with a larger body. And so they assume, and so they naturally favor the more slender athletes in class because they're comfortable working with them and they know how to work with them. So, um, so it's, it sucks. I, I don't get nearly as many of those as I used to, but every couple of weeks I do get that. Um, what I also get a lot of is messages from instructors who are like, Roz, we want to do better and we want to work with our plus size clients in particular. And we want to be a better, we want to be a better studio for them. We just don't know how. And so this was the idea, this was why I started, one of the reasons why I started doing my workshop about coaching plus size pole dancers mm -hmm. specifically. So that way instructors and students could feel more comfortable. Mm. And I know we um, run a curves class at our studio and we have for so long, like previously to me owning it. And it is one of those classes that generally speaking, it, it can't be ran in a linear fashion. It might yeah. be like, here are all the different pathways that exist in pole. And this is where you are on each pathway. Sometimes you're up here on some tricks, but you're down here on others. And there's a lot more time in those classes spent problem solving rather than here's a trick, here's how you do it, um, and here's how you and then go for it. Whereas it's like, okay, no, I need to have more one-on-one -on -one time with people to help them problem solve to their body shape um, because the body shapes are also different in the class. And I know I um, joined and subscribed to Dangerous Curves Workshop when I started teaching our curves class recently. Yeah, because yeah, I wanted to make, like I wanted to get as much information as I could because I knew it wasn't going to be what I know how to teach. And I think the, and one of my questions for you today is like, one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, maybe our classes are generally more populated with the slender um, pole dancers. Mm -hmm. So you've got more experience helping them, like helping problem solve for those sets of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas one thing I definitely talk about is like, I don't have boobs or a booty, so I don't know how that impacts you on the pole personally. So I have to think about how it might be to get my chest around the pole because I don't have that in the way. So what are some of the biggest challenges you do see with instructors who are teaching curves classes or plus yeah. size pole dancers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love curve classes and I love that you all have that at your studio too. So I'm going to say thank you on behalf of all your students who are taking advantage of that. And I hope yeah. there's a lot of them. Yeah, it's a very popular class. We have a very, we've always had a very um, big curves community. So they've got their own little Facebook group as well. So yeah, it was created because one of the students that we had, and I've had her on the podcast a few episodes ago, um, one of the students was doing our normal levels. She's like, I'm never going to get out of B1. Like this is never going to happen. I want a class for me. And she went to the previous owner and the previous owner is like, if you can get four people together, 
I'll run the class and um, quite easily got four people together. And then it grew from there. On average, the classes generally got at least 15 people in it every week. So yeah, it's, it's a good class. I taught it for three terms and it's probably, I had a lot of fun. We've got a lot of great people in the class. Like it's just different. Like it's, it's not structured. Yeah. People are coming in um, just to have a little bit of fun. There's less pressure on themselves. So, yes. yes. Anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's great. Some of the challenges that plus size pole dancers run into um, one, it's literally, I have more body in awkward places. Yeah. And so, if it's, oh, let's, you know, let's do like a strong grip, for example, or a baseball grip or whatever grip you want to call it cool story, bro. My boobs have other ideas about how we're going to grip the pole. And, or if it's something, if there's some sort of movement that requires you to grip across your chest or across your stomach, well, it's going to be more difficult if you have a larger stomach or if you have a larger chest than other dancers, then you're, you might not get as secure of a hold as more slender dancers would have. So it's things like it's physical barriers like that, literally. Um, and it's also a lot of it though is loneliness. So I, I'm a black woman in America, so I know a thing or two about minorityhood and I love it. I would never trade it for the world, but minorityhood is exhausting just like security, just like insecurities are exhausting. Being a minority, having the strength to show up to a place where nobody looks like you and nobody else moves like you, but you're still going and everybody else seems to be progressing so much faster than you progress. It takes a lot of guts to do that, to put yourself in that kind of vulnerable space. And there's a lot of people who are like, I'm going to do this. Let's go. But there's also a ton of people who are like, I don't want to put myself in that vulnerable space. Not if I don't have to. And I don't blame them. I, I don't blame them at all. So, and you can have the most incredible instructors and the most welcoming spaces. And there will still be people who are going to be concerned about their size. And also a concern with size is the actual equipment. Mm. People have been really nervous, like, am I too heavy to use the pole? As if, if they do some movements or some tricks that the pole or the silk or whatever piece of equipment that they're using, they're afraid that it's literally going to come out of the wall and they're going to get hurt or that they're going to hurt someone else even worse. Mm. I would and, say but like another um, thing I generally see in classes is, oh, you can't spot me. Like, you're, yes. ne you're never going to be able to catch me. It's like, well, spotting isn't necessarily about catching you. It's just about helping you. But yeah, that's another one. Like, as you're talking about that, I'm like, yeah, that's probably the thing I see the most. It's like, oh, no, you can't spot me. So then they're not feeling confident to be able to get up because they don't feel that the instructor or the person or the other student can actually support them if they're, if they're being spotted. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the advantages about me being a larger bodied instructor is there is an inherent trust that I've got with a lot of students, not with all, but with mm -hmm. a lot of students who otherwise would say, you're too small to spot me. I'm going to kill you if I fall. They look at me and they see that I'm solid and that I'm not going anywhere. And my body can take a kick or two. Hopefully I don't have to get kicked. <laughs> but <laughs> if I did, like they, they can look at me and say, all right, I'm not going to kill her. She yeah. can take this Raza strong. And just as you said, spotting, I can count on the number of time. I can count on one hand the number of times I've had to support someone's entire body mm. weight when I've been coaching someone on the pole. It, and it's probably three or four times in the last 12 plus years of teaching where they just said they flat out let go and <laughs> I was just holding them. Yeah. And more often than not, when you know how to spot people correctly, you know how to use your own body strength in the best sense. And you understand how you can leverage your own strength to support other people. And so there's a lot of trust building that needs to happen between the instructor and between the students that they're working with. So that way everybody feels safe. Yeah, 100%. We just did a workshop with the team actually about spotting just in general. And it's, mm -hmm. you should never have to, to your point, you should never have to take full body weight or it's very rare that you need to do it. Sometimes yeah. you will and you'll and literally end up holding a whole person's body in your arms. You're like, holy shit, that happened really quickly. But the purpose is to just help support them into the safest position possible. Um, yeah. I'm curious after talking about all of this, what are your thoughts then on studios that have weight limits on poles? Are you passionate about dance? Do you want to teach pole dancing or open up your own studio? My name is Fanya Mundy and I began teaching pole dancing in 1994 and my focus is helping people like you fulfill their pole dancing dreams. We all have a journey and perhaps your path is in enrolling in my pole dance instructor certification. Visit my website for more info at polefitnessstudio.com. I think, you know, the questions about weight limits on poles, it's kind of a chicken and egg question, mm. which came first, because in my experience, the weight limits have come from the manufacturers of the poles mm. and the manufacturers. And I think the manufacturers have had to state those weight limits because their lawyers and their insurance carriers are like, you need to how you need to state something about weight limits or else we're not going to insure you. And we're not going to, we're not going to do business with you, which is like the kiss of death, yeah. you know, especially because people who are making polls, you know, really comes down to X poll and loop it are two of the big ones. You know, they're still relatively small businesses mm -hmm. and cause they're very niche businesses. So they can't just go rogue and probably, they at least legally have to state weight limits. Now, whether or not 
their equipment can withstand excess weight. That's a different question mm. versus what is stated in writing. What I've seen stated in writing is completely different than what I have seen in person. I've seen stated in writing at diff from, from different studio websites, you can only be, you know, up to 250 or 225 pounds. And sorry for everybody who's on the metric scale. <laughs> I'm like, Phew. I have no idea what that compares to a kilo. That's okay. Yeah. Basically what it means is, is that people with studios would look at me and have to turn me away because yeah. I'm over the weight limit. And yeah. as it turns out, I've never broken a pole. I haven't snapped a pole in half. I have not ripped a pole out of the ceiling, but that's the fear that's cultivated with these weight limits. Yeah. And there have literally been engineer pole dancing engineers who have written out, this is how you test the weight limits of a pole. And they have done the super nerdy science math. <laughs> And the answer has been, you need to put on thousands upon thousands of pounds of pressure before the equipment fails. Yeah. But for whatever reason, that messaging has not made it to the insurance companies, has not made it to the manufacturers, and then it doesn't make it to studio owners. Yeah. So in short, <laughs> I do <laughs> I do not believe in pull weight limits whatsoever. Yeah. No, and I remember seeing the engineering um post that went around. It was quite yes. a few years ago and it it was you would have to weigh tons to to yes. break these things. And we share that when we have um people who come in and it's like, are oh, there weight limits on the pole? It's like no, well, technically our polls, you can have up to three people on them. So how you approach that, like that's obviously the weight of which they can take. So how you approach that, it could be done in different ways, whether that's two people or one person, that's what they can take. But um, mm -hmm. I, I do like the call out of the small business part because I think in the poll world, there's so much assumption that they're, these companies are big companies, but I but because we are so niche, we are still all very small businesses in that process. So you can understand when you say that, you can understand why some of these businesses are going, okay, this is what I need to do because to be able to operate, I need to be able to do that. However, yes. it does obviously become very challenging then when it's presented to a consumer um, in that note. So yeah, that was a, that was interesting. Um, so one of the biggest statements that go around in the poll world is poll is for everybody and every body. What are your thoughts on that? This is actually a question from one of our listeners. I put it out to the, to my community. I'm like, what questions do you, would you want me to ask Rosadiva? And this was one of the questions. So I think in my experience, studios and teachers and leaders, everybody means well, and they they genuinely do want to have diversity and they know it's important to have. And very few people, very, very few people would actively want to turn someone away 
for because they're not the right kind of body for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but where, but I think their acts, their actions fall short in ways that people don't even realize. So what I've seen is that the studios that are most successful in diversifying their client base are the studios that have diverse leaders. Your staff is going to reflect your student base. And if you have a more diverse and inclusive staff, you're going to have a diverse and more inclusive student base. And that's, that is facts, facts mm -hmm. on facts. I have lived that experience myself. I've also seen it as I've, I've literally taught pole in 33 states in America and eight different countries worldwide. Wow. And that has proven itself to be a consistent fact is that when you have diverse leadership, that trickles into every other aspect of the business. And some aspects that get overlooked in the business is one, um, clothing, which is a nightmare, merchandise, which can be a pulled nightmare, um, often size clothes only go up to a certain size. They might go up to like a size large. That sounds like, oh, this is a large. It's the biggest size we make. That sounds like, all right, maybe that's okay, but their large is not even close to what an actual human being large is. And, you know, a lot of this is, you know, not going too deeply into what could be a whole other podcast about pole clothes <laughs> and especially women's size clothes yeah. and how fucked it is. Yeah. But well, just as you're saying there, it's like a large, when I put that into Australian terms, that is the average woman size in Australia. Yeah. And that's the large. And then most will like most of the companies go up to an extra large. So you got that next size, but that's only one above the average and then there's exactly. not too many sizes from there exactly so, yeah. and so it's little thing it's like that like when i walk into a studio and i can't even buy a tank top i would love to get some merch to like support the studio and to rep it everyone wants to rep it but it's difficult to do that if there's no clothing that fits me also, you know, a small thing about logos is so many times and this, this is not like a make or break, but it's just like a tiny nitpick. But so many times logos of different studios, they have a silhouette of a really slender person pole dancing. And that's not inherently wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when every single studio has the same body type that they use for their logos. I, as somebody who not slender, I feel like I get bombarded with the message. This is who we are. We mm. are this smaller bodied sport. And it's not that we don't want you, Roz, but you might be an afterthought. Yeah. And that's, that's also something for studios to consider is instead of building a community and then trying to retrofit it with all this inclusion and diversity work, 
I want you, I want to challenge people to think about how can I assume that all these different diverse and different types of bodies are already here? How do we make these athletes as comfortable as possible? And there's, there's a studio that I went to in Michigan here in the States and they had Braille on the outside. It's the Midwest Movement Collective. It's a new studio. They've only been open for a few months. They had Braille for on the outside of all their classrooms. So that way, if somebody, I don't know if they're currently serving any people who are blind or have low vision, but if they did, I can confidently say those people have options and they can autonomously move through the studio because they know, oh, I know which room this is because I can read this. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's I terrific. Think, yeah. Like that is just, and being in your studio, they've obviously really thought about how they want to, um, message to the world and as you were talking the things I was writing down was like the culture of your studio and that comes through your leadership and your instructor base and then the messaging you send and I remember when I um, took over the studio that I currently own my sister-in-law was helping me do some marketing and she's like Steph the people who are looking at whatever you're sharing on social media they need to see themselves in that so yes. you need to be able to show as many different bodies, people on your social media so somebody can connect with that person. And that yes. can sometimes be hard depending on the students who will allow you to use um allow you to use their their content to share. Um, but it is if I'm going and I'm scheduling my social media. I'm like, okay, I haven't had, like, these are the types of um, bodies I've been showing. Do I have something else that I can throw in there to show the mix? Do I have, you mm -hmm. know, a different instructor if I'm always showing the same instructor? It's, I think it's a hard, it's not a hard one, but it, you have to be actively thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'll even say it. I agree with, I agree. I think it is hard. Mm. And it's hard because it requires money, time, and effort. Yeah. And this is, it's to do it well. You can't just do it once in a blue moon and call yourself diverse. You have, it has to be an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. You've got to really invest a lot of different resources into inclusivity. So I can understand to a point, I can understand why it's difficult for people to really delve into. That doesn't mean, that doesn't get, give them an excuse not to try, but I can understand why people mean well, but they miss the mark sometimes. Mm. I mean, and I will be the first one to step up and say, I miss the mark sometimes. Even a little miss inclusivity over here, as much as I, as much as I preach this, I know I could be doing a better job with like putting more captions on my videos, making yeah. sure like my lighting is a little bit better. So that way it's really the body versus the background is more of a contrast. Yeah. Um, making sure my website is uh, readable for people, even in different languages and mm. that it can be translated different languages. So I'm, I'm seeing this, like, I don't know if anybody's ever going to get to the point where it's like, 
all right, we're inclusive. We can stop now. It's an ongoing process and it's one that everybody could get better at. Yeah. Um, and even I was having a conversation with my husband recently and we were talking about diversity and how I would say pre-COVID, um, there was a lot of discussion about women equality in workplaces. And mm-hmm. now the discussion has switched to be um, to be race in the workplace and equality there. So I think as we grow as a um, society, we're starting to become more and more aware. So as those things become more and more aware to us, we have to start shifting and thinking about how we are approaching the world and also doing the inner work with ourselves to be what is it that we feel and what are the biases that might be underlying for us and how can we do better in these situations. So I think as the more of this becomes out and the more people are talking about diversity inclusion, the more you start to understand about it and then you're going to have to shift because there's going to be, we're going to continue to learn. And I don't think to your point, I don't think there is an end date to go, this is what total inclusivity and diversity looks like. Yeah, I agree with that. There's, And there's also one thing that makes this a challenge, inclusivity a challenge, is because how you dive, how you define diversity could it varies person to person mm. so there is you know we're primarily today we're talking about body size diversity yeah i know we've got a little bit off topic here <laughs> <laughs> no but, but this is i don't actually don't think this is off topic at all because so much of what i preach in my workshops it can be carried over to mm different kinds of diversity as well. And so maybe if speaking about the blind student that comes in Mm. or somebody who's in a wheelchair or somebody who perhaps neurodiverse, this might be one of the few shout outs that they've ever had. So I actually don't think it's, I mean, I could talk forever and ever and ever, but so I think we're doing good so far. (laughs) We're not doing too bad. And we were talking to um, a student it was a little while ago. She is blind and she is based in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, she's one person that's like on the list to get on the podcast and have a chat to see how she goes mm-hmm. with polling. Like, what are some of the struggles? I literally had a message this morning from somebody asking if I could do a podcast about um, ADHD, anxiety, autism, and polls. So those. Yeah. I'm like, I just asked her, I'm like, is there somebody you have in mind? Because if this is a topic you're interested about, I want to know who's maybe a pole dancer you look up to that I can have those discussions with. Um, Because it's, I think to your point, it being acknowledged and it being talked about, and that's what this podcast is all about. And that's why it's called Uncovered is to talk about all the topics that we, that we have in poll. Um, But what do you think are some of the biggest barriers for our curvy women. We've touched on a long, a lot here and we, you know, messaging is a big one that we've just mm-hmm. talked about. Um, obviously who are in their class and how they feel and the access probably, I would assume studios curriculums can sometimes also be a barrier. Yeah. The curriculum piece I think is big. Mm-hmm. I think with curriculums, you know, so I started teaching pole the way that I was taught. And so I'm completely biased. I, I teach the way that I was taught and the way that I like to pull. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure every other instructor will tell you some version of that same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's just what it is. And the problem is that just because something works for you does not mean that it's going to work for other people. Mm -hmm. And this is where as an instructor, the more education that you have about how bodies move in a fitness context, and the more you can dig into the science behind why bodies make the moves that they do, that's going to help you be a much better teacher because you can figure out different ways of explaining the same thing. Mm. And also curriculum, we've got to take a critical look at what we value and why we value certain things. So let's look at inverting for an example. Mm. Getting your ass over your head is one of the most, one of the most sought after skills in pole dance. If it's, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say it is the most sought after skill in pole dancing. I think it's like the first milestone that you look at and you're like, I really achieved something when I achieve an invert. Yes. It's like that first big thing. Yeah. And, and so this is, this is where we get into trouble because a lot of plus size pole dancers, inverting is going to be the hardest thing that we do. Mm. And there are some people, it's going to take us years. So let's say somebody, there's a studio who's got curriculum inverting in their curriculum and they've got it early on in their curriculum. And if you're not allowed to leave this class and advance to the next one, unless you're able to invert, well, the problem is that you might have some students that are never going to invert or don't want to invert or just haven't figured out how to do that yet. So they're going to be taking the same class year after year after year after year, simply because we've made up these arbitrary rules that you can't be an advanced pole dancer unless you're inverting. Mm. And I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe, you know, Maybe you can't consider yourself an advanced pole dancer if you're not inverting. But then it begs the question, well, how do you define an advanced pole dancer? That was going to be my question to you. I'm like, well, what is the definition of an advanced pole dancer? And I know there's been a lot of chat on social media about levels, um, in mm -hmm. particular around the handspring and um, saying that it's not an intermediate move, it's an advanced move. But we have no regulation in our industry. So what... Yeah. I do in my studio it can be completely different to what you do in your studio, but we can both say, we could say this set of tricks are advanced and you, your level could be completely higher or completely lower in comparison mm -hmm. to, to my advanced level. So without the yeah. regulation, it makes it very challenging. It makes it so difficult. And um, I completely agree with you about the regulation piece and also the cool factor so if we, if studios and instructors have determined the cool kids invert, the cool kids can do a butterfly or a jade or a hip hold, then what, what's happened, what happens more often than not is that those studios, they, they accidentally send the message. This is what we value. 
this is the kind of student that we value. And if you don't fit this mold, then we don't value you as much as other, mm. as we value other students. And that's where people start to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, is when they don't feel valued. And mm. students need to know, I'm a firm believer in everybody is gonna, everybody has got some contribution that they can make to the athletic world. And particularly as a pole dancer, there's something that you can bring that's going to make you valuable to other people mm. and to yourself. And we've got, it's easy to say, well, here's a list of tricks that we think are valuable to, for you to have. And that's not wrong because there is, there's an aspect of like physically, what can you do? And how does that add to the overall happiness or the overall success of the community? Because what we're doing is a physical activity, but that can't be the only measurement of value. And that's the part where I think a lot of studios miss the mark is that they're, they're saying the most valuable people can do the most valuable tricks. Mm. And if you can't do these tricks, you're not as valuable. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about that, I was just reflecting on a conversation I was having with one of our, she was a new instructor, or maybe she was a, she was just a receptionist on the team at the time. And we were having a conversation and she was talking about getting into advanced. And she's like, you know, advanced just sounds so much cooler. Like you're an advanced pole dancer, not just an intermediate pole dancer. And I often reflect back on that conversation because not every person is going to be an advanced pole dancer because your journeys might be different and your bodies might be different, but you might still be able to go do other classes where you can like learn advanced tricks. But this all comes back to the definition of what is an advanced pole dancer and how much weight do people put on that? Some people are happy just to be in the studio doing their class, working towards working towards um, their tricks that are on their own list. And then other people need that, that goal to work towards. Yeah. But yeah, it's often a conversation. It's often a conversation I reflect on often as a studio owner to be like, what are, what are students thinking and what are students trying to achieve? And yes. we, we definitely get people who really want to get quickly up that ladder. It's like, okay, how do we get you to slow down? Sometimes. Gosh, yes. Like I one of the biggest differences between when I started pole and where I'm at right now, I've noticed in the industry is we used to consider inverting, for example. That was something that happened in the intermediate and advanced classes. Yeah. That wasn't something that started that students started in the beginner classes. That was you've been doing pole for about at least six months. Now we can talk about inverting, but you probably didn't talk about it much before that. And I remember when it was a big deal to do, um, you know, even climbing the pole, I feel like was like a huge, you know, that was a big deal when people get to climb the pole and it still is a big deal and it still is celebrated, but just, but it's not celebrated as much as I think it should be. 
because as you just mentioned, there are going to be a lot of people that might be the most physically advanced thing that they're able to achieve. And we need to celebrate that. Like they just won the lottery. Yep. (laughs) And there, it is a lot of students do come in and they're like, how far, how fast. And it's, you know, I believe that it's the job of the instructor to say, how slow can we go? Mm. And not to hold anybody back from making progress, but just to make sure that they've got a solid base of foundational moves and that their body is able to, is is in good pole shape so they can practice these wild ass moves that we do over and over and over and over. And for and a long time, not just a short time. Exactly. You can't practice something twice because, you know, my it's, it's my experience that pole is 90% failure. Mm. So if you looked at the whole, if you added up all the minutes and all the hours that you spent touching a pole, of that time is going to be you trying and failing something. Mm. And we've also got to normalize that a lot. (laughs) And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like we've, you know, on Instagram, I I love following people's progress. And even when people try stuff, even if they don't get it, I find myself like screaming at the pole, cheering them on. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming <laughs> my phone, I should say, and cheering people on, even though they're literally halfway across the world. Um, and but it's uh, as a teacher, you've got to love the process because the more that you love and value the process, the more that your students are going to love and value the process. Your students are always going to take their emotional cues from you, mm. and so it's your responsibility to set those cues up as best you can. Yeah. I hear throughout this entire podcast as we're talking is it really comes down to, and this is a business thing, right? It really comes down to leadership and how the leadership is carrying themselves and how they're fostering their team to then how they foster their community. Absolutely. Absolutely. When leadership is about this life, then it's, it's a, you see the differences almost night and day. Yeah. It really comes down to it. I've also, I have to give a big shout out to Shark Tank (laughs) Um, because (laughs) uh, that's for anybody listening. It's a show about entrepreneurship. And um, one thing that I've learned from watching way too much Shark Tank (laughs) is that the health of the business of a small business is so largely dependent on the mental health and the business savvy and the business knowledge of the owner. And so a lot of times when the business is sick or if the business is in trouble, it's because the owner's in trouble or there's something, there's, there's always uh, that connection. And especially this is especially true for small businesses. And right now pole dancing is one giant small business. 100%. 100%. And doesn't matter what country that you're in, doesn't matter what studio, how big your studio is, it's still, we're all still hustling is what we're doing. So I don't fault anybody who has not yet made 
their communities as diverse as they'd like. What I when I do throw shade at people, it's when people bring is when people ask you to do better and you blatantly don't. That's mm. when I was like, all right, now you're just lazy. Yeah. Before I will give you a pass, but now you're just what are you doing, homie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, that first of all, that was a very important reminder to myself in terms of the health of the owner. Um, we can so easily neglect our own health because we're putting so much more ahead of us. Yes. And it becomes very challenging to juggle that all and look after yourself because you're also looking after your team and the community. Um, and yeah, I think. The other thing that comes to mind there is cancel culture and sometimes how the world can be so unforgiving to people. And like you said, it's like you mm-hmm. give them a chance and if they continue to do that, then it's like, okay, what are you actually doing? Um, but, yeah, the world of social media can be a little bit on the nasty side. Sure can. <laughs> it's, it's rough to, stuff over there. Oh, yeah. To finish off today's podcast, I have one other question from our listeners. What are your hobbies outside of Paul? Okay. So you know how I just talked about the health of a business owner, how it, <laughs> it reflects in the health of their business? Um I do not have hobbies outside of working and that's not good. Um, I, I treat the gym as a hobby and working out as a hobby, which, which is good because I have a really good relationship with fitness, Mm. um, outside of work, which is great, but it also, but it's still my job. So, um, I need, I need hobbies that are something beyond bourbon and <laughs> the real housewives of You're speaking to my heart here. <laughs> and it's tough because, you know, as I was just talking about the health of business, I was basically talking about myself because right now I'm in like my, my like, it's the end of winter in the, in the U.S. right now. So it's not spring. It's not warm yet, but it's not like deathly cold. But it's still, it's, it's a really challenging time of the year for me because I'm kind of in a slump, like work has slowed down a little bit and I'm trying to find, like, I'm trying to motivate myself to keep going and to keep creating stuff. And, but it's hard. It's really hard. Mm. It's really hard. So, um, in short, uh, if that's possible (laughs) for me, (laughs) um, we're working on, we're working on having a life outside of work. I love that. I love that um, you share that too, because I think so many people who are business owners are going to hear that and go, yeah, me too. Like it's being yeah. a small business owner, you are everything sometimes and it can be yeah. really hard to keep up with this and then that and then this. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge. You got this girl. You've got it. Yes, we, we got this. We got we this. Got, we got we this. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Roz. I've had such a great discussion with you, not just about um, curvy pole dancers, but also diversity and inclusion. And it's definitely one that I'm glad I've had because I think it's given me a few thoughts and ideas on my myself and my own business. Um, if anybody, if they're not already following you, if they want to follow you, where can they find you? Anybody can find me at Roz the Diva. 
So that's R-O-Z, the diva. RozTheDiva.com is my website. I'm also RozTheDiva on Instagram and on TikTok. Well, I'm growing TikTok. Oh, yes. Um, TikTok's and, a whole different kettle of fish. Oh, good Christ. I, I, I'm i suck at TikTok, but I'm trying to suck less. I'm trying to suck less. You got this. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, they can find me Roz the Diva everywhere. Amazing. Well, guys, if you love this episode, take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Roz, tell us what you loved about it. We would love to hear. I said love a lot there. We'd love to hear what you loved about it. I got <laughs> it. I, I need more coffee. I need more coffee. Um, anyway, until next time, we'll see you soon. All right. Sounds great, everybody. Thanks for having me, Steph. Thanks for coming.